Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. An obscure provision of communications law is becoming the center of a debate about the role of social media in today's world. It's known as Section 230, and it's been credited with setting the stage for the success of internet companies like Facebook, Twitter, and Yelp. And now, members of Congress are talking about changing it. I'm Adam Taylor, alongside Bloomberg government technology reporter Rebecca Kern, and you're listening to a special episode of Suspending the Rules. This will be the first of two special episodes on Section 230, each with interviews with different stakeholders. Today, we're speaking with John Bergmeier of Public Knowledge, a public interest group focused on free speech and internet access. Before we get to the interview, Adam, let's provide a bit more context on what exactly Section 230 does. Sure. Before Section 230 was enacted in 1996, Websites had to leave user-generated content like comments and message board posts unmoderated or else they'd be treated as the publisher and they could be held liable for defamation or anything else in that content that violated the law. Section 230 was enacted as part of the Communications Decency Act and it's allowed websites and now online platforms to edit or remove user-generated content without being treated as the publisher. It's called a liability shield because it protects Facebook, Twitter from liability for most anything that users post. There are a few exceptions, like copyright violations, which are governed by a different law. Since it was enacted, Section 230 hadn't really been modified until last year, when a law called SESTA-FOSTA made carve-outs from that liability protection in cases that involve sex trafficking. This year, lawmakers have started talking about opening up Section 230 again. As social media increasingly dominates public discourse, voices as varied as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham are speaking about their desire to require accountability from companies that benefit from the liability shield. Big tech critic Josh Hawley, a conservative Republican senator from Missouri, recently introduced a bill seeking to change Section 230 to require internet platforms to be politically neutral or else their liability protections would be removed. Groups like Public Knowledge and the Internet Association, a trade group representing large tech companies like Facebook, Google, and Twitter, have criticized the bill, saying it could violate constitutional freedom of speech protections. We wanted to get a look at the ground level of the debate. In the near future, we'll have another installment of this series featuring an interview with a representative of the internet industry. For this episode, I spoke with John Bergmeier, the legal director of Public Knowledge. I started out asking him about the benefits he and Public Knowledge have seen from Section 230 since it was enacted. Section 230 provides uh, a lot of, I say, you know, certainty to companies that allows them to provide services that allow people to post their views and different content online uh, while uh, also allowing them to moderate content online, you know, in both cases without, without fear of liability. So if someone posts something unfortunate, uh, the platforms aren't directly going to be responsible for it, just the poster is. And at the same time, the platforms basically have a free hand to, to moderate and edit their sites uh, however they see fit. And doing that doesn't uh, cause liability either. So, for example, if they choose to keep one thing up and, and take another thing down, they're not responsible uh, for what they keep up either. You know, it's a pretty broad immunity. So it's a double-edged sword in some ways because, on the one hand, it allows these platforms to be 
engines of free expression that allows allows these platforms to sort of you know allows things like Twitter and Facebook uh, you know to operate the way that they do. But on the other hand, uh, you know, Section 230 also means that there can be some uh, pretty bad content online, and platforms don't always have the motivation to invest as much in moderating and taking it down because they really don't face legal liability uh, if they fail. So on the one hand, it's true that Section 230 is what allows platforms to moderate and edit the content that is, uh, that is online. At the same time, it doesn't require them to do so. So you see really uh, criticisms coming from both ends, both from people who think that the platforms are, are doing too much moderation or, or censorship, as you might want to call it, or people who think that they don't do enough. Right. I mean, we're, we're wanting to ask about that, too. So, you know, this, this idea of a double-edged sword, as we hear more critics from the conservative side talking about being attacked or censored, you know, where do you maybe see some shortcomings on 230 when it comes to content moderation that these platforms are are doing? Well, so Section 230 says that a platform isn't held liable as a speaker or a publisher for content that originates with a third party. You know, so the, so you can't they can't be held liable for libel or slander, things like that. But it's the publisher aspect that really kind of trips people up sometimes because, uh, that, you know, courts have been very clear that platforms are allowed to, you know, profit from content and promote certain content uh, and, and so on and so forth. And that includes, for example, ads. It includes relationships where the platforms are actually paying for content and it also shields platforms when they are amplifying certain content. So someone might post something, uh, and no one would see it, except that the platform really amplifies it and magnifies it and puts it in front of millions of people and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, when you're looking at 230, in some cases, you know, you might wonder if when platforms are really sort of going above and beyond in terms of amplifying and promoting certain content, you, you know, you might want to question whether they should really be, you know, completely without liability for the actions that they're taking, because it's no longer content that, you know, people are just sort of posting, and then we're saying that they can't be responsible for sort of screening everything before it goes online. Uh, but it's actually that, you know, their own actions with respect to content. So I think that's one kind of uh, vein of criticism, you know, that that you often see. Right. And I mean, does that put a platform in more of a publisher role, do you think, when they are actively promoting content? Where do you see this kind of line blurring between a platform and a publisher today? Well, I don't really think there is a distinction. Uh, Section 230 doesn't really say whether or not online services, you know, it doesn't use those terms uh, per se. It's just about interactive computer services. You know, so I don't really think it matters one way or the other whether you call Facebook or Google a publisher. I mean, it doesn't affect their legal liability. It just says that they can't be held liable as a publisher. It doesn't say that they're not a publisher. Uh, you know, so I think sometimes, you know, when you watch these congressional hearings, uh, and, and, and to a large extent, the platforms sort of buy into this. There's this gotcha where it's like, aha, you're a publisher. It's like, well, who cares if they're a publisher? Uh, Section 230 doesn't really hinge on that. Section 230 just says that there's no liability. Um, so I have no problem with saying that, you know, a, a platform that chooses, you know, for example, if you have uh, a conservative message board and they decide that they are going to take down liberal posts or, pros- or posts that are critical of uh, President Trump, they have every right to do that. 
And someone might say, well, you're no longer a platform because you are taking such a strong point of view, but you know, that's just sort of legally irrelevant. Uh, every kind of site is totally free to take whatever point of view it, uh, it chooses. I think the problem that people have is that given the competitive situation of online platforms, certain platforms are just like so big that if they were to take a, a political point of view or if, uh, or if people just suspect that they are or they feel that they are, you know, then it becomes a problem because they feel like they have no other way of getting their message out except through this concentrated uh, set of, of private platforms. Yeah, that kind of brings us to this conversation that Senator Josh Hawley, conservative from uh, Missouri, is doing in this proposed bill to basically ensure platforms are politically neutral in the content they post. And and if they do not maintain that neutrality, they would be held liable for some of the content if it sways a certain political direction. So what do you think of that proposal? I've seen you written about it in some blogs that maybe it's not constitutional. So could you talk to that? Well, yeah, so I'll talk about just the, you know, the constitutional argument is basically requiring that a private platform sort of promote or suppress certain points of view. I mean, that just amounts to uh, speech regulation. So I think that that would face some serious constitutional hurdles uh, online. But, you know, maybe even even more fundamental critique of that particular proposal is that it just seems uh, incoherent. Um, I don't think anyone really wants there to be neutral platforms. I mean, you might want to say that you want a platform that is neutral as between Republicans and Democrats online, but, you know, there are all sorts of political viewpoints out there in the world. Uh, You know, Nazism is a political viewpoint. Uh, There there are plenty of uh, political viewpoints out there that I think most people do not want to be actively promoted. And if platforms were to say that, you know, we are not going to allow certain kinds of you know, white supremacist uh, speech on our platform, I don't think people would say, aha, you're not being politically neutral. Uh, You know, if you're reducing the world of politics to just Republicans and Democrats, you know, just like the mainstream political viewpoints in the United States, I mean, sure, I mean, the platforms might, you know, they claim to be politically neutralized between them, but I think it just doesn't make any sense to talk about platforms per se as being neutral. If you do want them to be neutral, that's basically saying you want them to be common carriers and they just... Uh, you know, they just host whatever people post. And in that sense, they're more like, uh, you know, the telephone network or something. And, you know, that's a legitimate viewpoint uh, in some respects. For example, I think that uh, internet service providers should be common carriers and they shouldn't really try to censor or moderate how people use the internet because that's just not their role. They're providing infrastructure. But when you look at platforms, you know, because they are forums for, for for speech, I don't think people really want them to be polluted with all sorts of scams and porn and hate speech. I think we want platforms to be taking that stuff down. Uh, and if your definition of neutrality uh, doesn't encompass that, you're just really, you know, you're just making a special case for your own particular point of view. You don't want your particular things that you like to be to be moderated or removed from the platforms, but other things you're fine with. And that just doesn't seem to me to be a particularly intellectually consistent view. And it's just extremely 
it's an extremely surprising development in American politics that so many conservatives who have for so long said that uh, Internet service providers, broadband providers should not be common carriers, that they should be free to transmit whatever content they choose. They should be free to, uh, you know, to promote certain content at the expense of other content. They've been fine with that. They've opposed net neutrality uh, in almost all of its forms. And now they want something which is really even more invasive, which is neutrality, neutrality for platforms, or at least you know, regulation of the platforms so that they can't suppress uh, you know, speech that they, they personally think shouldn't be suppressed. Right. And, and what we've seen is that there has been a change to Section 30 last year with the SESTA-FOSTA passing in Congress. So we are showing that there, it's not impervious to some carve-outs for certain yeah. conditions. Where did public knowledge stand on that change? And, you know, where do you think Section 230 could go in the future is it if, since sure. it's already been changed once? Do you foresee more changes? Yeah, so I don't think I don't think Section 230 should be impervious to change. I don't think any law should be. I think we should be constantly reevaluating uh, statutes and public policy to make sure they're actually serving the public interest. Uh, and in some ways, I do think that Section 230 and the responsibilities of platforms need to be reevaluated. Uh, they're just so much more important now and such a central part of uh, cultural life uh, and the economy uh, and communication. You know, much more so now than they were. Uh, when the provision was passed in the 90s, that, uh, you know, absolutely we should be considering, you know, reforming the law to mit- in, in certain ways. Uh, SESTA-FOSTA uh, is something that we opposed, not because of the general principle that Section 230 should never be uh, looked at again, but really just because of the way that the law was written. Uh, a lot of people had criticism of it, uh, law enforcement agencies who, you know, this law, this, that provision was supposed to, you know, help law enforcement in sort of uh, stamping out sex trafficking, but there were some criticisms, you know, even from, you know, from law enforcement agencies that it was too ambiguous. Uh, so our, you know, our particular problem with that wasn't the concept of reform, but just the notion that it enacted this quite broad standard that didn't really uh, create uh, a lot of clarity as to what the responsibilities of platforms actually were with respect to speech. And as a result, we've seen basically some over-censorship by platforms because they're so uncertain as to what kind of, what their responsibilities are. They're choosing to just, you know, block off entire categories of uh, online discussion. And, you know, so I think that that is the sort of negative consequence of laws that are well-intentioned at it's, and addressing a real social harm. Uh, but are drafted in such a way that it doesn't really really leave the platforms with a clear idea of what they should and shouldn't do. That was my interview with John Bergmeier of Public Knowledge. Make sure you stay tuned to this feed. Coming up, we'll have another installment in this series on Section 230. For Rebecca Kern, I'm Adam Taylor, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. 
Hi there, I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.